Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. This episode marks the seventh anniversary of this podcast. I know, right? So I wanted to start by thanking everyone who's listening. Someone Else's Movie is the project I most enjoy doing every week, and though some professional changes are coming in the very near future, <laughs> Semcast will continue without interruption. And remember how I mentioned a little while ago that the first year of the show didn't make it onto the Simplecast server? Now you can buy it. I've zipped up all 52 episodes of the first year, 46 of which are not currently available to stream, and made them available for just 20 Canadian dollars at payhip.com Semcast. There'll be more about that at the end of the episode. My guest this week is Igor Deliaccia, a writer, producer, and director who runs time-lapse pictures with Albert Shin. Igor's features include Krivina, The Waiting Room, and the documentary The Stone Speakers. His latest, the Bosnian romantic drama The White Fortress, screens at the Tiff Bell Lightbox tomorrow, Wednesday, March 16th at 6 p.m. as part of Canada's Top 10, and it drops for rental on digitaltiff.net March 25th. It's very good, and you should check it out. Igor picked Punishment Park. Peter Watkins' 1971 mockumentary set in a quasi-fascist America where anyone who protests the established order gets a choice. 20 years in federal prison, or three days playing something like Capture the Flag in a remote desert training zone called Punishment Park. It sounds like a simple choice, right? That's the point of Watkins' unnervingly prescient film, which wondered what Nixon would do if he got tired of anti-war protests and wound up showing us where America would end up half a century later. It's pretty heavy for an anniversary episode, but it's also pretty important. This is someone else's movie. I first saw it as a graduate student. And one of the things that stuck with me is how little things have actually changed and sort of the, the climate that, you know, we're living in right now and the way that this film had an impact on some of the projects that I'm developing uh, was one of the reasons why I, I chose it. And I've been thinking a lot about uh, Peter Watkins's work and watching his work and processing sort of uh, the language that he's using and how he's using this sort of pseudo-documentary um, sort of skeptical fiction uh, approach um, uh, while using like faux newsreel uh, footage and creating creating a world that while on the surface it seems like it's something that's not plausible, it's very much tied to things that are that that are happening or that were happening at the time that he made that film um and punishment park is also like one of these seminal works that was essentially uh, had a former censorship placed upon it uh, mm -hmm. by 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 western institutions um and it's kind of fascinating how censorship functions in western society versus like in, in a like an authoritarian non-democratic space so it, that's one of the reasons why i, I kind of chose it because the way that um, we perceive a censorship in in in, in Canada and the U.S. is 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 very nuanced uh, and it's tied to like you know distribution and the ability to actually attract um, uh, the distribution for the film and the release for the film, which this film kind of sort of struggled with, uh, and it's become a lot more um, accepted as a cult film uh, after the fact, like after its release, and really struggled during its release. That's how I encountered it. Um, I think the first time I saw it would have been a bootleg VHS from uh, that I rented at Suspect uh, in the maybe the early '90s, possibly. the The original UK release made it over here that way, and I didn't watch it then, but I did watch it. Uh, I believe it was like a re-release 
theatrically I watched it once in 2013 or 14. Mm-hmm. And then before that I watched that like a like a torrent. <laughs> yeah. well. Like a that like I think somebody downloaded a torrent or something. And uh yeah, so it was um it was not an easy thing to find. Like no. now it's easy to find. Like but 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 even 20 years ago it was not easy to find. Yeah, I was kind of surprised to find I, I mean I knew I knew Watkins' work at the time through the war game, which I want to say we saw at York in film in 87. I think we might have seen it, although it's possible that I saw it at the Bloor that year and just have conflated the, the timeline. Mm-hmm. But that was my first exposure to him. And someone else was talking about all the other radical work he had done that we couldn't see. And so a few years later, when the Punishment Park tape showed up, I jumped on it. And I watched it again, maybe 10 years ago when, when I got the Masters of Cinema Blu-ray and not since until last night when I revisited it and fuck me, like it's, <laughs> it feels contemporary now, even, even in the hairstyles, like the, the hipster look has come back. It doesn't seem to have dated. I mean, part of that is the, the fake documentary construction where you, you've got a mm-hmm. time capsule of 1971, but it is remarkable how, everything that they're discussing as the stuff of fiction simply happened in the last 20 years. Like there's nothing in there that isn't, it's like um, what it would say about the handmaid's tale that she was pilloried for this, this fanciful imagination of chauvinistic uh, misogynism. And it turns out that every single thing that happens in the book is something that she had found in the world already, Mm -hmm. that there's no fiction to it. This, this feels like that, but reversed engineered. Yeah, it it feels like the the world is sort of caught up with the fiction, and in a weird way, like it was already there. It was just kind of sort of hidden, or the way that sort of the 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 system would look at the film is that it's um, uh, it's it, it's provoking. It's it's like it's it's uh, not trying to actually engage in, in in a critical discourse. That it's like a provocateur, a work of a provocateur, yeah. when in reality it's really trying to kind of get at the, at the root of like how you, people just don't listen to one another. There's like this, this disconnect and um, that disconnect leads to sort of the, the, the system creating these frameworks for uh, not allowing, you know, expression to, to, um, to, to be part of, um, uh, uh, to be part of this kind of uh, uh, democratic process. So, you know, there's so many things that not just from like, you know, Patriot Act to like all these other legislation that's been passed since 9-11, that kind of have the same sort of uh, dimension to it. Like, your, like the police brutality, the sort of the, the, the way that, um, you know, like when you think about police itself and the way that they're trained, it's like it's a very, very uh, short like you can complete a police academy training in like a few months. Mm-hmm. And this idea of using uh, an extreme example, you know, and slightly kind of uh, fictionalized approach of, you know, both training the, the police in this um, kind of brutal, uh, brutal way, but also giving uh, the illusion of freedom to these people who are dissidents or draft dodgers. And like, that's the, that's what they were sort of, accused of a lot of times they were accused mm-hmm. of being draft dodgers and um the environment that 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 uh that they created is um you know 
that like we have to examine uh you know the the way that the system functions the way that we simply do not uh pay attention to uh you know the the less fortunate the 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 oppressed um and you know from what happened last year like the george floyd uh period onward like there are images there that are still very much tied to what's happening today oh yeah and it's i mean the, the entire film wasn't not the entire film but the, the trials themselves were inspired by the chicago seven uh, right so you had you had this um uh, mimicry of, of reality at the time that he made it, which is 71. So like the 69 trials were the the kind of the inspiration for some of the, the stuff that was being shot in the um uh what in the in the in the scenes that were there tried. So I I find the entire kind of discourse of the film and like you said the aesthetic itself it doesn't really age uh, like if you watch a film that's inspired by the film, you know, indirectly, mm -hmm. so like The Running Man or uh, any of these sort of game show or like uh, reality kind of um, show uh, inspired. Um, yeah, what was the one, Series 7, The so, Contenders, that everybody forgot from the early 2000s? It's, it's great. No one saw it. It just went straight to video, basically. I saw it theatrically. And uh, it was shocking at how much of reality television it predicts in much the same way that that this does it's this one doesn't even seem to have the the patina of reality tv it's just one documentary crew although they never really explain how they managed to pull it all off the camera's always there at the yeah they're just there to document this like new system of like tribunals because there's too many people that are like not patriotic that are like uh anti-insurgents or draft dodgers so like they have these like people's courts in a way so like they take him in a tent and then they either have jail time or um or uh, they have to yeah. run through this course that's used as a training ground for the police. Yeah, um, that's that's the the most cynical thing about it too is the idea that it's because of it. There's this little snippet of dialogue or a voiceover from a radio broadcast or something we hear early on about how they've commissioned a hundred thousand new national guardsmen and and police officers as a result of right. the upro the unrest and uprisings. So this is how they train those people to give them dirty, filthy hippies and hunt them for three days, which is basically just a, a green light for sadism and, and uh, an abuse of authority and everything else that would go wrong is exactly what happens because why wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, that's what I mean. It's like, this was, it's not even speculative fiction in the, wow, wouldn't it be weird if it's just pointing right. at the, the thing and saying, this has been going on all along. Yeah, people like kind of hone in on the idea of like the act of the chase, you know, the that was the problematic kind of stance. That was like why it was so provocative. But like that's just that's just a sort of like a, a, a function of its like fictional sort of structure. But everything else about it, it just feels like you said, like more current than ever. And like a lot of a lot of Watkins's work even before this dealt with similar kind of uh, setups from uh, like gladiators had like a similar kind of approach and in terms of like this kind of uh, this this snippet into into reality of like almost like a game game show kind of uh, uh, aesthetic where these different powers are pitted against each other um, and what one of the things that I think kind of 
which is what happened to his filmmaking, which is interesting, is he kind of moved away from this very provocative approach somewhat. Mm-hmm. Like after he, you know, made made uh, Edward Monk and and like uh, he kind of went back to it with Commune. Um, but there was there was this inability to uh, find distribution, like find outlets that are actually willing to engage with this kind of work, uh, because it had this sort of uh, faux doc aesthetic, and I, I find that very troubling, right? And we think we think that we live in a free society, but we only live in a free society insofar as the sort of the tastemakers uh, or the, the you know the tastemakers, the taste samplers decide that this is justified uh, part of discourse or like a, this is art. Uh, and then like when when that doesn't meet somebody's standard, it's just sort of like shelved. Yeah, um, uh, the the hostility in the reviews. I read some of the the initial feedback from Cannes in 1971 when it played there, and uh, I think it was Jonathan Rosenbaum who said that it was like a screed and it was just uh, no middle ground, left and right, portrayed as opposite extremes and monstrousness. And it's like I don't know what you were thinking about the left char- the left wing characters in this film, but they are not they're not monsters. I mean, you can you can say they're polemicists, but that's because they're yeah. being forced to articulate their beliefs against people who don't accept them. And yeah, the hostility directed at the films, like people shouldn't see this movie. I don't understand that at all. I, I think, I mean, like when you think about like what the kind of press that people are getting at the time, like the sort of the way that stories are sort of, uh, they're, they're sanitized, right? Like the stories, mm-hmm. like the way they're sanitized today, they're sanitized from their super kind of, uh, critical uh aspect so i i don't i don't i don't i'm not surprised that sort of a very kind of mainstream uh group of critics would find this film too provocative or too out there too extreme in terms of how it looks at these different positions Mm. um and the strange thing is that, that this when you look at back at that period when you look at the civil rights movement. You look at the rise of the Black Panther. You look. You look at the the uh, uh, you know the Nixon era. Mm-hmm. Like things were moving in a very kind of dark uh, direction, where like you, people were not getting. And this is before the Pentagon Papers were released. This is they were not getting the full full piece of uh, the they they were not giving the full story rather. And you just had a lot of people kind of only listening to some of the veterans and some of the activists uh, partially, like with, you know, they, 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 they weren't in, like the entire, the consciousness of the country wasn't entirely buying it. And I, I find that the film in a weird way um, um, kind of made him reconsider how he, you know, is going to approach his next project, and precisely because you couldn't get through, the, you couldn't get through. Like this kind of work is being sanit. Like you have to find a more sanitized way of approaching the 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 masses or approaching um, uh, distributors, uh, cinematex, etc. Otherwise, you're just making something that's not going to see the light of day. And I, I. I kind of encourage people to like really check out uh, this filmography because 
it's, it's sort of like a fascinating example of somebody that's really pushing the boundaries of the medium, uh, but is getting a lot of flack for doing so. Because whenever you're doing something like this, you're going to be in trouble. I mean, he's not saying anything complicated. He's just saying that American democracy is in itself a fiction, right? That, they're, that, right. that the, the characters on the tribunal, uh, the, all the authority figures, they're simply repeating these weird, hysterical, McCarthyist hypotheticals, you know, what happens, what, what if, what if they come over here? What if the, what if the, uh, what if the communism comes, comes, yeah. Like what if the communism comes here then? And it's just such an abstract concept that it's impossible to argue against it, but the prisoners, the, the detainees, I'm trying to figure out what language from the present day is appropriate because it is basically an extraordinary rendition situation where these people say they were grabbed off the stage at a, uh, at a poetry reading and yanked into this situation where now they're, they're surgeons, right? Like they're like against the, uh, like the McCarthy era rules that were passed were sort of like a, a preamble for, you know, what, what they're going to do to these people. And they in turn just, uh, they found reasons why they should be incarcerated, right? Yeah. There's also a throwaway line about how they're they're doing this as a preemptive measure against the possibility of them aligning with a, right. a plan to overthrow the government. So they haven't done anything yet, but they it's might. Like a minor, so. It's like a minority report kind of uh, situation. Yeah. 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 And, 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 the, that, and Guantanamo is like it predates Guantanamo Bay, right? Like even though the Guantanamo Bay is doesn't have like a people's tribunal, you know, it, it doesn't have complete under like it doesn't have it doesn't have the ability to 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 have the legalities because it's because there's like a special sort of provision placed upon what kind of um, uh, punishment is going to be going on here. Like this punishment is rendered without due protections for the people. Right. So, and like there are there are like various kind of tribunals or, or uh, uh, systems in place, even in the U.S., that function this way. Like, yeah. Well, it's all extrajudicial, right? I mean, that's, they simply call it that, and then that somehow makes it okay. Like the, my favorite one was the construction of free speech zones in 2000. So people could protest George W. Bush in a specific space where you were allowed to speak freely. But after that, they just simply had to accept that they weren't going to be allowed to do that. And it was just this quiet little bit of fascism that they just dropped down. The Republican National Committee just made this a thing. I think it was before the election. I think it was during the, the Republican National Convention where they did this. And it was just so that none of the delegates would have to be bothered by the shouting. Just, you know, a couple of blocks away, you can protest as much as you want. And the fact that everybody just sort of went along with that paves the way for everything else that goes wrong. Like this, this, yeah. this tiny little incremental step where you don't realize just how much damage you're doing to literally everything, the, the, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the fabric of American society. Uh, and of course, that's after however many years of Fox News and, and sovereign citizen horseshit and all the things that, they've, that have metastasized into what it is now. But it's all here. It's all in Punishment Park. You can see all the seeds of it, even though the people who are the most radical are the ones in government who are engineering the situation rather than the people who call themselves radicals who are trapped inside of it. And the and, and the and the way it's engineered is, it's like a state of emergency, right? Like this constant maintaining of like a state of emergency. Mm-hmm. And like w- one thing that 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 is kind of alarming is when you know 
this concept of like this constant war, right? This phenomenon of constant war in, mm-hmm. in the U.S. Polit- politics and sort of the, the NATO allies, where they, because of the military-industrial complex, they need to engage with this approach. But if the people are, you know, get too out of hand and they they are aware of what's going on, uh, the 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 need for constant war sort of dissipates. So you create like these emergency measures in order to control uh, dissent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like you and you see that you see that like in the U.S. like on a basic level, like just like the way that uh, military grade infrastructure is being given to police. Yeah, and you see it through um, uh, just the way that there's like you know this like massive uh, uh, you know misinformation campaigns against all sorts of uh, you know from democracy now being subjugated to like all sorts of like conspiracy theory level accusations to like other left blogs and other left kind of organizations being kind of lumped together with with um, this kind of fear mongering. Um, it, it, it's it's uh, it's kind of the one thing that's kind of uh, uh, bizarre about this entire uh, film like in the, in the sort of current model is the sort of the distraction industry. And, mm. you know, like this is happening, but like at the end of the film, you're sort of told by the, by the, by the, by the people that don't allow them. Should, can we spoil the film? <laughs> I think we might as well. Yeah. It's might as well. You've everybody. Well, I was going to say everybody's seen the running man, but the running, I always forget the running man changes the ending of the novel. Uh, to have a happy ending, these these movies don't have happy endings. That's right. But these stories um, don't have happy endings. So yeah, like the, 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 when they're prevented from reaching the flag, uh, you know, there's a moment where where the the, the policeman, you know, tells them it's like you know you're you're not doing this for anything that's real. Like you're just doing it for a paycheck as well. Yeah, and like you, you were know, never gonna you were never gonna win. You were never gonna exactly. get there. And Apart from never getting get there, but he also accuses the cameraman. Which is oh, the cameraman, yes. Watkins. Yeah. yeah, he accuses him of like, oh, you're just doing it as a, you know, uh, uh, for you're doing it as a professional to get paid. So like this kind of professionalization of of, of journalism, that, uh, where like th- there's, you know, how many journalists are actually taking a moral stand, and how many of them are like answerable to like a higher editorial power, right? That like kind of is in tune with what's going on in the country. Like how much criticism can you actually have? And that is sort of the alarming trend, right? Like when you see, you know, mainstream newspapers from the New York Times, you know, creating the mandate for the war in Iraq, right? Like they actually helped like rally the troops and like mm-hmm. they, they were the, 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 the drum kind of, um, uh, they provided the drums and the, the, for the steady march, um, like we, that kind of uh, still vibrates, like that, those moments that are kind of like subtly um, uh, sort of thrown at the end of the film, and like the way that that, that all sort of like uh, functions in today's sort of uh, context is also very very alarming. Where even even well-meaning people, you know, might not be able to get this footage out even in the youtube kind of um 
generation this like there's a there's also like a desensitization to this stuff there's so much war going on right uh the wars in yemen you know the the the, the war in syria um this constant war is almost creating an outlet where this just becomes another reality show so if 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 something like this was to actually be enacted i think most people would like think about it for 10 15 minutes and then just like walk away. And yeah. that's the scariest part. And then there are those who would simply deny it. They would say it was fake, yeah. right? Because yeah. th that doesn't come up. I kind of waited for it this time through to, to see if there was going to be any suggestion that people simply wouldn't believe the footage. But it's actually worse because the cop stares down the barrel of the camera and says they won't care. Like nothing will right. change. This is going to air and, wherever it airs. And, and, he's and right. they'll, they'll, yeah, and they'll, you'll watch it. You might get a little upset. And then you just walk away. Yeah. And that that like that that was really unnerving to watch. Like the suggestion of that was um was 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 like um was, was something that I, I didn't I, like I remember watching it about a week ago. It's mm -hmm. something I did not I did not anticipate that they would hit uh, the way that, that it hit. It's like, oh, and this is like, I think the last time I saw it before that was like 2014 mm -hmm. and the world's changed so much since then. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you watch it every five or six years, you start to kind of thread the needle of like what he was sort of engaged with and how you could observe uh, the, the way that, you know, the way you manufacture consent, the way you, you create these um, extrajudicial bodies and how they function outside of the parameters of the actual constitution and how the constitution in many ways is a joke. It's just sort of there to kind of um, function as a, as a stalwart for, uh, you know, powerful people getting away with uh, things and then like telling the people the constitution is still, is still there. So it, it the, the thing is like, the one criticism that the film also has is like it, it doesn't provide enough space for like the subtlety but the irony is that the subtlety has been the subtlety has kind of been this has disappeared even more in a mm -hmm. weird way and that's the thing that was alarming I, I i i kind of reckoned with this idea it's like maybe it is like a little too extreme right but it ga it gave agency to the to the to to the leftists in a way that you know they're not all the same you know not all these in, insurgents are the same yeah. some end up confronting the cops and you know going on like uh, on a shootout others try to um, you know be uh, kind of believe in that the system will prevail that they that they will be able to kind of uh, reach the flag and and, and have their freedom um, so like there is nuance it's not it's it's not completely um uh a, a, a one size fits all kind of approach no i mean the first thing the, i don't want to call them contestants but the first thing that the uh the course the course runners the once yeah. they're once they're in the park the first thing they do is break into little discussion groups and try to figure out a strategy and immediately start disagreeing with each other while the voiceover just it's, i mean it is it's not funny but it is it's witty the way that watkins voice just comes in and says 
there's one hour before they're pursued. There's 50 minutes before they're pursued and they're still fighting over morality. It's irrelevant, but they're still trying to do the right thing and, and debate. And I, and you know, you can't help but think of uh, the, the, the classic democratic move of the democratic party, just arguing over procedure while the Republicans just set things on fire because that's the only thing they know how to do. And, and all of that is here. It's all happening in Punishment Park. The authority is absolute and unrestrained, and they're just waiting for the moment where they get a green light. And I, I remember the, the second time I think I saw it, I, my stomach dropped when I realized the police were getting into their cars because it just didn't occur to me that the first time through I didn't watch I guess I was just so so overwhelmed by the experience of, of the, the narrative that it didn't occur to me. And the second time through, it's just like, oh, of course the police can drive after them. The two-hour head start is meaningless in the desert if you have a car. It's just an additional level of cynicism that Watkins bakes into the concept. You don't even think about it. You don't, I didn't even question it the first time through. Yeah, it's. It, it, I, I think in part it's because there's, um, I think the images that we're like, kind of been given in the last like a few years like those images of 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 the police um kind of make us stand up even more because mm-hmm. like what w- one it's one thing to like in the 60s and 70s when like the the sort of sort of so-called like you know hippies and the flower children were uh you know and the the activists were the were the um the targets of, of, of police brutality, mm-hmm. uh, along with like, you know, minority groups, especially uh, people of color. Um, now, it's like, you know, activists, uh, environmental activists, uh, you know, indigenous uh, activists, uh, people against the, the pipelines, right? Yeah. Um, like Black Lives Matter activists. Uh, so it's, the same images are now being kind of uh, used. And when you start hearing, you know, police unions talking about reform, it's, it's like it, it's, in the, it's in the public sort of domain for a very short period of time. And then like suddenly nothing's happened. Like nothing's really happened. So like the might is right approach, this idea that like no matter what is done, the state is on the side. Like the state needs the police. The police doesn't need the state. Yeah. So... And and that's come kind of became a like to me as well like that became so apparent in in the rewatch in the way that they they just know that they're not going to be held accountable this unfortunate and kind of depressing thought that that that's perpetuated throughout yeah I mean if they're in a park then they're there to play right like it's a playground and they can do whatever they want they they're they're the bullies obviously but they're also they're the idealized version of the army that's away in Vietnam or Cambodia or wherever it is that's happening in the course of the Indo. They only ever say Indochina specifically. They're, Cambodia is heard mentioned once or twice, but whatever's going on, they're the representation of it here at home. And so they're the heroes, no matter where they go or what they do. Even the the one the one kid who at the very end, the, 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 end, yeah. the young uh, National Guardsman who says it was an accident, he didn't mean to do anything everyone around him starts telling him he was right and it wasn't an accident and he shouldn't apologize. And the rank and file thing where they just close around him and and start bolstering him up. That's so practiced and so easy that we know immediately that this isn't even the first time that's happened today. That's right. And, And 
like I come from a country that we're that kind of mentality. We're like that, that, that young kid who, who sort of like, I didn't mean it accidentally. Like the, the, the gun went off. Like I, I, I was, you know, they were coming at me and like the other people trying to kind of console him that, you know, it's not your fault. They were not listening to orders, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of like my kind of childhood in a weird way. <laughs> like, when the wars happened in former Yugoslavia, there was this, there was this 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 um, kind of like move when people would you know enter into um, uh, you know a militia that they were like very quickly uh, kind of made to to kind of follow the the uh, the sort of very very problematic genocidal policies of 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 their leaders so like seemingly innocent innocent youth and the way that that kind of manifested itself so like this film to me is sort of not an indictment of the us but just you know this just any kind of systems systems that kind of make you know young people with uh you know who want to serve their country or who are who are there in kind of any kind of capacity um, how that service is often going to be at the expense of your own kind of moral integrity, right? Like mm-hmm. you, when you don't think that war is justified, when you do not think that like uh, this approach has much much meaning or contribution to like protecting your society, um, you you need to kind of follow that. Uh, the, the, the sort of the, the system and what is told and not um, object because any objectors are, are seen as, as as unpatriotic right yeah. and this this you know like you see it like in Stanley Kubrick's uh, film uh, from Metal Jacket you know you see it in in Jarhead for example yeah. uh, this indoctrination that that happens at, on on that level and in this film, it's like just through that one scene, like you said, where yeah. that becomes completely apparent. Yeah. And Watkins understands economy as well. He's working with a tiny budget and a tiny window of time, although they shot it over three weeks, which I found really striking. Um, but they rehearsed it a lot, right? Because yeah. the casting was a complete, like, they were all non-actors and they cast people who had those kinds of leanings politically. Mm-hmm. So the I, I believe that when they when they uh he talked about this in the director's commentary when they um did the uh the, the rehearsals he realized that some of the stuff that he had written was no longer necessary because what their beliefs were 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 even more authentic and more interesting to explore so like there was a complete collaborative approach where like a lot of the text and the dialogue was improvised um and the, the the people were essentially sharing their beliefs, like the the people that were accused, yeah. um, they were awaiting trial. They were essentially sharing their beliefs about you know contemporary U.S. system and you know their own kind of struggles. So you had you 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 essentially had like documentary subjects that you were trying to you know create fictions from and instead of like casting professional actors and like 
doing yeah. line readings, which which is like a very fascinating way to work. Which which I think one is one of the reasons why it it, it still feels so timely. Like it, it's like one. Of, it's not just the aesthetic of the sort of faux um, doc, the sort of, sort of cinema verite. Um, it's also the approach that he takes with the performance. That you know the the kind of stilted uh, deliveries that when you rewatch some of the films from that era um, that they have, that they sort of embrace the overriding, right. That happens sometimes. Um, you don't feel that here. No, the, it, and it feels completely naturalistic, even, even among the, the bureaucrats who are stiff and mannered and practiced, it works for them because we understand that this is just something they do every day. They've just go through this, this ritual of, of, asking questions they already know the answers to, or they think they already know the answers to, and they're not willing to hear anything else. And it's all about the procedure and the appearance of being considered and thorough when there's really only one way this can ever end. Yeah. And the just, yeah, I, it, I always knew it was a cynical film. I don't think I felt just how cynical it was until this time through where I'm still surprised that Watkins lets his cameraman, the character he's voicing, be as angry as he is. Because it almost feels like by the time that happens, that guy would have been out in the desert with them for three days and he'd be just as tired and just as exhausted. And he wouldn't even have it in him to be upset. But it's worse that he is. It is actually worse that we can feel how upset he is in that moment. Yeah, because he realized that even though he has his footage, you know, he is not able to change anything. Yeah. And like you're, I think like, it, there's just like beautiful, but when you're kind of starting off as a filmmaker, you kind of feel empowered that these stories are going to have an impact, right? That, that you are going to kind of, uh, at, at least on a personal level, not necessarily even a political level, that you are going to kind of give somebody's world some sort of shape, mm-hmm. um, like a particular community or, or a particular um, individual. And you realize that often people, ha- people are sort of like stuck in a pattern and moving that needle is a lot harder than, than one sort of like faux uh, documentary on, on, on um, or, or a real documentary on, on a given topic, right? Yeah. How, how, however uh, well-meaning it might be or however shocking it might be. Because um, how many things had to come out for the Vietnam War to actually end? It's like, it's it's insane. Like how many marches you had to have, how many, uh, you know, hearings you had to have, how many, uh, it was only like towards the end of it with like the release of the, the Pentagon Papers that things sort of, started to move towards uh, realizing that that it's an unwinnable war and that the entire apparatus of that war was just just to wage the war. There was no reason. It was just like, we need constant war. We need young people to be in the military. We need people to toe this line. Like we need, um, and that's like one thing that the film never deals with directly, but that that's sort of there like this idea that he, he even asks like one of the accused asks the 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 trial leader it's like about you know why you know why we fight and 
the guy couldn't even give an answer. No, he falls back on the to stop communism, to keep us safe. That's right. And again, that was the Republican Party's talking point in 2004 about Bush. He kept us safe. It's like he was president on 9-11. He didn't do shit. But that doesn't matter. It's what you say now. And the and the, there was a moment, too, I realized um, when the cops are playing with their magnum uh, with the 357, he says that this thing can bring down a rhino and That's immediately right. follows it by saying, now, I don't know when I'm ever going to see a rhino and I probably never will. But if I do, I want to know that I can bring it down. And it's just this this moment of macho American dick waving that is exactly why the police have up armored tanks now, because yep. just in case. And that that became the Cheney doctrine, right? Like if there was a one percent chance that a country could have nuclear weapons, we have to treat it as though it's a certainty and destroy that country. Uh, that was part of the, the justification for the Iraq war. And it's just part of this uh, red-blooded American mythology that the Republican Party has co-opted and taken ownership of that is still like it leads directly to the Tea Party. It leads directly to Trump. It leads to the anti-vaxxers, the idea that the mavericks know better. You know, all it takes to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. None of this shit is true. None of it plays out ever. And people cling to it because it gives their lives meaning because they get to imagine themselves the heroes of their own story. I mean, I'm sure the cops all in in the film in Punishment Park, the police officers, maybe not the National Guard, because they're better at taking orders and moving as a unit. But the individual police all seem pretty sure that they're going to be the ones who avenge whatever thing probably didn't really happen, but they think happened. It's just the way that the the paranoia feeds into itself over the course of the movie so that atrocities are inevitable because they're in fear for their lives, even though they're the ones with the guns. Yeah. And, 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 and like that, that you kind of had like a really good point about uh, sort of like heroes in their own story. Um, like this, this drive towards like this extreme individualism, right. Mm-hmm. Which is sort of like the tenant of like the, the founding of the, of the, of the United States. Yeah. But it's like, we have to like be understanding of like, the individualism that they were talking about is the individualism of white men, of landowning white men. And it, the individualism did not extend to other peoples. Like that that came with a lot of, a lot of struggle, uh, like from like women's suffrage to like the, you know, the civil civil war itself to like the, the uh, civil rights movement. Yep. Um, so, and it's still an ongoing thing. So it's just manifests itself as, you know, you are a hero in your own story if you protect the American dream, and the American dream is is essentially this like this the celebration of individuality um, at the expense of what exactly? Like, do you ever ask yourself that question? Um, but I would I would kind of move that back a bit. Is that I wouldn't I wouldn't just accuse the Republican Party. I, I would accuse the both parties of participating in this kind of behavior in the U.S. Like I don't think that you have a proper left in the U in the U.S. You have wings of the Democratic Party that that kind of try to move the conversation in a, in a more healthy kind of um, uh, discourse, but it's still not a very powerful wing of the party. So you're still like th- this kind of um, approach to um, the building of sort of the American doctrine um, is is something that both parties participate in. Both parties depend on, uh, you know, funding military contractors in their in their respective um, areas. They they it's it's not a problem that's like ideological. Like if Eisenhower is Republican president who warned people 
about the military industrial complex. And like, I'm not exactly sure what he saw when he warned people about that. Uh, but, you know, this, this need for constantly using your own people as vessels to engage in war, to kind of shepherd your, 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 um, whether it be your, your, uh, product and your goods, your influence, uh, making sure that the American dollar is the dominant currency, like all these things that Watkins kind of deals with in other films um, are kind of part of the the, the, the framing um, that's going on here. And it's, it's, it's not simple as like, you know, uh, Democrat Republican. I think it's like a it's 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 it goes deeper than that. It goes like before you even choose your party, you kind of believe in this. Yeah, well, I mean, it's true. The two party system in the states does not allow for any real radicalization of anything, just because you have to be just moderate enough. You have to be perceived as just moderate enough to steal just enough votes from the other guy in order to win. But yeah, the um, Barack Obama didn't bring down the military budget a penny, as far as I'm aware. The, there was there was no further development they stayed in afghanistan for the whole eight the whole two terms and did nothing to to change the course i mean he made the country better in some ways but didn't deviate from the stuff that bush laid down in 2001 and 2003 it's um yeah it's awful to, to constantly hear that the democrats are a center left party when you have to accept that the center has moved so far to the right because of the way the Republicans have shifted it. Exactly. So it's like the Democrats today are like the Republicans of like a different era. Yeah. In terms like of like the their 50s engagement. maybe. They're 50s Republicans, I think. Maybe a little less racist, but that's about it. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it's alarming uh, where, I mean, the, 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 the conflation of um, left and right is probably going to like disappear a bit once like climate and other considerations come into play. But mm what one would imagine um but it's a it, it's it's not it's not like a trend that uh seems to be evading and it's anything the, the way that you know uh communications works today like people are even more desensitized to it so like he was onto something like peter watkins was really onto something uh when when he made this film and oh, yeah. it still lingers it's like one of these films that kind of haunts you like it's not a film that like aesthetically is you know tied to anything I do, for example. Um, there's a there is a documentary that I'm trying to make about uh, Bosnia uh, and, and, and the sort of the inability for that country to kind of uh, find coexistence together mm -hmm. uh, that uses that approach. But it's it's one of those films that I think has kind of made me very aware of uh, the censorship industry of, of our, like, of, of, of Western countries. Um, and, Just a lack you know, of interest in something like that from funding yeah. agencies, that sort of thing? For, well, funding agencies from, from, um, from, you know, if you, if you are overtly political, like you're, you can't get films distributed, right? Like if you, if your films are tackling any kind of topics that are deemed uh, offensive to some potentially, right? Mm. Maybe to like the, people donating money for a particular film festival or, 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 or people donating money for a particular uh, government-run uh, fund, then those people might take offense if, you, if these kinds of films are, are, are funded, produced. Um, there isn't always transparency 
when these things happen, right? Because you like even at the funding level, um, you you have you have you know the market determines what what is desirable in the American system. In the Canadian system, you have you know various juries, but the jury sometimes could be blocked by administration, right? So you have so many different kind of uh, parameters through which you know work can be censored because it's deemed too radical or too too or tasteless like they for somebody it's like what what's the difference between radical and tasteless right because some people accused him of being tasteless when he made his film right like this inability to differentiate things um and that's that's alarming and I, and, and, I, and, I, and it still does happen today yeah, well, and it's also easier to say something is tasteless than to actually look at what it is and examine what it's saying. It's just, yeah. it. we see it happen in Punishment Park where people just reject out of hand, oh, the words you use are immoral, so I'm not going to engage with your lyrics at all. Right. It's, uh, yeah, 50 years later and nothing has changed. It's exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I usually do wrap the episode by asking if you've been inspired by the the film you've chosen, but yeah, aesthetically, there's not a lot that that Watkins films share with yours. You you have a, a very pristine approach to uh, to things. I find. I, I think I think there's like this anger, maybe. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that, yeah. that, 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 that 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 occasionally like kind of comes out. Like I mean, the 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 film that I made, the um, the White Fortress, deals with this sort of ins- in, indirectly deals with this insolvable sort of. Uh, state of paralysis that Bosnia finds itself in. And, um, you know, on, 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 that, on that kind of political level where, you know, you have a bureaucracy that essentially differentiates people on an ethnic level and you have like international uh, organizations who has created um, a country or helped create a country that doesn't have a framework for a civic society, right? Like you cannot be just you can't just be like a Bosnian Herzegovinian, like like in Canada we can just I'm a Canadian, right? right? Over there you actually have to identify as an ethnic group to hold office. How bizarre is that? So it's like I even have to now, be, really, even now. So so this kind of like absurd what if situations that some people subscribe to to Watkins films, you know, like like former Yugoslavia, Bosnia in particular has been you know, is a, is going through that like on a, on a day-to-day basis. Like what, what would be considered like a Kafka, uh, like the trial, like mm-hmm. Kafka's trial is essentially what's happening in Bosnia, where like the bureaucracy and the, the Dayton Accords have essentially entrenched these kinds of divisions. Um, and in the White Fortress, I kind of like try, tried to kind of suggest uh, uh, this kind of like, um, political world that exists uh uh where these characters don't directly deal with it but they're affected by it right from mona's father to to uh sort of fireworks inability to find employment so like it's 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 a it's like a self-serving kind of um parasitic system that where like you know internationally people can kind of like you know clap and tap themselves on the shoulder because they did a good job but in reality, they essentially just created a, a failed state. And, and that happens throughout the world. You know, 
Western engagement with you know Afghanistan recently and and what had resulted in that um, to to you know Syria to Yemen um, all the all these other kind of places where they've um, entered and tried to kind of solve something uh, they often leave it worse or the same or nearly the same when they leave mm-hmm. um, and then you ask yourself what is Peter Watkins trying to do? And he is essentially trying to show you that like, we are engaged in a system of, you know, uh, smokes and mirrors to prop up, you know, a military industrial complex and Trump, you know, the rights of the people in, in our own country by engaging in war elsewhere. So it just becomes this game. It becomes a game on a domestic front and it becomes a game on an international front. And it's a, uh, it's ever more rele- relevant. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's cynicism is one word, but I would also say Watkins brings disgust to a lot of it. To like, yeah. the War Game is a film about something. I think he even said as much. It's a film about something that should never happen. So he made it to show people why it should never happen. And right. Punishment Park is working along the same lines, just in a much more specific thing. Although I, I guess I suppose fascism is as much of an existential threat to everyone as nuclear war is. It's just harder to clarify. It's harder to well, explain. Well, now fascism so have... feels like it's a bigger threat yeah. than, than nuclear, the nuclear war. Now I suppose, well, yeah, just because we don't have fascists with nuclear weapons yet, but we will, that'll happen. I mean, I mean, like when you think of like the, the, the politicians that come to power, right? Like, you know, you look at what's happening in, 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 um, in Canada, with the People's Party, you mm-hmm. look at what's happening in the U.S. with like this this move towards the right. Uh, you know, there, there there is there is like almost like a softening. You know, it's it's like Trump uh, Trump's first sort of like run at presidency was was like like the softening for like somebody else to kind of work that model and like kind of come closer to to assuming power yeah um and do, do and like be be more competent than than trump was for example yeah no that was that was really the saving grace of donald trump is that he was too stupid and too uh just inconsistent right he got distracted easily if he'd really applied himself he could have done some serious damage but what i worry is that you will have people mimicking that yeah and then they who are more competent who will do more damage Right. So oh, yeah. that's how, like, for, in former Yugoslavia, for example, that is how it, that's how it was. You had the slow erosion of, like, the system that existed there, economic upheaval, and then, like, you know, in the Communist Party was itself fragmenting. Like, you had, like, many different camps within the Communist Party. And then eventually, when you had, like, open elections and, like, these, 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 um, these frictions within the Communist Party could come to, like, could, could come out in the open, then, you know, the slow sort of the, the, the slow um, move towards, you know, engagement and, you know, ethnic and uh, civil confrontation became the norm. So in the US, you have, you, you still have these two parties that have so many different thoughts in each camp, and so many different approaches. And like, if a more dominant one kind of takes root, uh, in in the Republican Party, which it is like the the, the Republican Party is more and more a Trump party, uh, okay. even even now. So, who Trump declares they want to that he wants to support 
in a particular race often wins. So that's just like the first sort of stepping stone. And that, that's the kind of unnerving thing that uh, how insidious these lies become. And if you tell them enough times, they just they become the norm. If the state tells the lie enough times to the people, we are protecting you against terrorism. We are protecting you against, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter and protests and like protests against, um, you know, uh, pr- pr- protests against, you know, eco-terrorists or whatever. Yeah. Whatever, whatever the boogeyman whatever, is. Whatever, whatever wants the to come into your house and take your stuff. Yeah. Like if you say it enough times, it sticks. And yeah. and that's the, that's sort of the the alarming thing. Like we have the safety of a functional economy, and as long as that functions, like you're not going to feel the day to day vibrations of this. But um, but if the economy gets weakened, then 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 it's anybody's guess. My thanks to Igor Diliacha whose excellent new drama, The White Fortress, screens tomorrow, Wednesday, March 16th at 6 p.m. at TIFF Bell Lightbox as part of Canada's Top 10. It'll be available for rental on digitaltiff.net March 25th. Thanks also to Laura Steen. She knows what she did. You can find Igor on Twitter at idrljaca, I-D-R-L-J-A-C-A. And while the North American DVD of Punishment Park is long out of print, the British Masters of Cinema Blu-ray I mentioned is region-free and available as an import for about 20 bucks online. It's also streaming on FlixFling. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. You can also find the first year of the podcast on sale at payhip.com slash Semcast for the low, low price of 20 Canadian dollars. We had a whole bunch of amazing people on the podcast that year. The beta band's John McLean talked about Chinatown, future Moon Knight directors Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead did Almost Famous, Kids in the Hall Scott Thompson tackled Gentlemen for Fur Blondes, Nelson George came on to talk about Sparkle, Lauren Collins on Obvious Child, Alex Ross Perry on Somewhere, Natalie Merchant on All About Eve, Christian Brune did The Fifth Element and a mildly drunk Christmas episode, Milcho Manchevsky on Amadeus, Faith Aaron Hicks on Tremors, Katie Boland on Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Blind Spot Buddies Aaron Abrams and Ennis Esmer on Quick Change and Three Amigos, respectively. It's 52 episodes in all, it's almost two full days of listening, and they can all be yours for, like, literally $20. So help me celebrate a milestone and pay a few bills, and, um, you know, enjoy them. Our theme song is by The Last Year. If you like it, or the show in general, leave a review wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps, it truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're doing that. Stay safe, watch movies, wear a mask if you go out, get your booster when you can, buy some old podcasts. Thanks for listening, truly. I'll see you soon.